I'm the, the program director of the Pacific Shark uh, Research Center located at Moss Landing Marine Laboratories, part of the California State University in California. Um, we're run by the same set of organizations that Cal State University Long Beach are. Um, our organization is part of a consortium of four institutions, federally funded through Congress, with the funds going through the National Marine Fishery Service. And we've been funded since 2002 to do research to help the National Marine Fishery Service and other fishing agencies, fishery agencies, to provide information on the life histories and other aspects of shark biology to help them manage fisheries and their populations. But there are approximately, probably 1,200 species worldwide, with about 85% of those in the shark group, pardon me, about 55% of those in the shark group, another 45% in the ray and skate group, and the remainder in the ratfish or chimera group. The life history of sharks in general is one of basically slow growth, late age of maturity, and reasonably high longevity, but it varies immensely among groups, even within genera or species. Uh, the longest lived is the spiny dogfish, and it is known to live over 70 years and not reproduce until it's 30 to 35 years old, depending on the sex. Shark and ray sizes vary from things like the cookie cutter shark, which is probably no more than six to eight inches long, up to the whale shark, which is the largest living shark, estimated at 15 to 20 meters, which would be 50 or 60 feet long. Interestingly enough, the smallest shark is a carnivore. The largest shark is a plankton feeder. There are probably four or five species of sharks in the world that are known to attack humans, not on a regular basis, but common enough to make the news. Most sharks, however, that's an, there's another five species out of 1,200, 12, the majority of them are not a threat at all. The greatest threat of humans to sharks is probably more than vice versa, because we have a tendency nowadays with the populations of the world exploding, the use of seafood increasing, the use of sharks for human food, but even more radical is the practice of shark finning, where different cultures will, and actually many cultures because they can sell them, will take the fins off sharks and then discard them at sea. The fins are then dried and made into a product that is then later um, rehydrolyzed to be made into shark fin soup. The therapeutic value for cartilage is in two avenues that I know of. One of them is to relieve joint pain, uh, arthritis and that kind of thing. And there's some evidence that that does work, but I'm not familiar with the total medical literature on that. Many scientists, especially immunologists, believe that there is some value to the use of cartilage as an anti-cancer mechanism. Some experiments have shown there to be some effect, others have not. But that is an ongoing um, story of research about the um, anti-carcinogenic nature of cartilage. Where there have been numerous publications on shark biology, their growth, their metabolism, their feeding, even their reproduction from observations in captivity. So the public gets to see them and the people that keep these animals captive care for them a lot and actually work very hard to learn more about them. I've been asked many times about the role of public aquaria, aquariums if you will, uh, in, in helping the public understand the ecology, the biology of marine organisms, especially sharks, rays, skates, chimeras. Many people think it's cruel to keep animals in captivity. I feel just the opposite. I think if the public sees a white shark swim, for example, or a a ragged tooth shark or a sand tiger shark and its teeth, they will go home with a memory they'll never forget. 